0: Hello, and the very warmest of welcomes to the grand opening of Dr. Kino's Film Emporium. My name is Dr. Toby Reynolds and I am a film academic, writer and curator. I started this podcast to explore film through the eyes of other film academics, writers, curators and serious film fans. Why? Well, because I'm interested in the films that have sometimes been overlooked, ignored, underappreciated or just plain missed due to unlucky distribution or because because perhaps the uh, timing was wrong of the film's release, etc. I've got a few titles of my own that I'd love to share with you over the next few coming weeks and months, but I'm also interested in the films that other people think deserve more attention. So as the saying goes, no one is smarter than all of us. During my lifelong engagement with film, I'm gradually learning just how much I still don't know about cinema, and just how much there still is to learn about cinema, and it's getting more all the time. So, for now, the Emporium is open for business. We start this debut edition with Godfrey Reggio's Koina Skazze from 1982. While this is not really an underappreciated film, uh, it is perhaps, I think, an overlooked one, uh, which is quite ironic given that the film has tremendous resonance now uh, given the current state of the world that we are finding ourselves in before we get into the film itself it's worth getting some context about the filmmaker because this is quite crucial to the nature and subject matter of the film so the director godfrey Reggio was a ex-monk who at the age of 28 uh, left his closed order the uh, congregation of christian brothers and experienced um, a med- um, 20th century america in 1968 which was a pretty much a fairly watershed year in terms of politics arts culture society and uh general sort of uh, mayhem i suppose so uh, for 14 years since the age of 14 he'd been fasting in prayer contemplation etc and he was confronted with uh, this particular uh, time in american history which i think was uh, must have been quite an experience he began to engage with various social projects and progressive causes and eventually worked with the Institute for Regional Education in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And it was there with uh, Ron Frick, the main cinematographer for Kaino Scalzi, that he began the idea and the early footage began to be shot uh, for the film. And this also comes out of a successful media campaign against the use of Ritalin uh, for Me- New Mexican schoolchildren. He teamed up with um, with Frick and also engaged uh, Hilary Harris, whose 1975 film Organism used innovative time-lapse film techniques. And Louis Schwartzberg also shot a substantial amount of film uh, and to basically get the film shot. Uh, they used 16mm film stock mainly for budgetary purposes because it's cheaper than 35. Uh, certainly cheaper to process and to purchase, and uh, developed a number of interesting ways with which to uh, shoot what they needed to shoot. Starting nineteen seventy-five, the team took about seven years to film what they wanted, and r- roughly four years to edit it as well. This was very much a labour of love for the team. Uh, Ron Frick, at some point in the late seventies, actually waited tables in a Los Angeles restaurant in between um, the, in between shoots because they, uh, I think, basically ran out of money and uh, time along the way. So getting close to um, the finishing of the film, they scored, uh, pun intended, uh, quite a coup with the uh, minimalist composer Philip Glass, who provided possibly um, an inc- just the most incredibly mesmerizing and haunting score that I think has been put to film. Uh, that's quite a claim to make, and I make no apologies for it, but the, the sound is an integral part of the film, and it's, it's very recognizable when you hear it as well so much so that the American sitcom Scrubs has actually used it in one of its uh, scenes. Then another lucky break came as well when the uh, early version of the film got shown to Francis Ford Coppola, who was coming off his uh, pretty good run, I should say, of his 1970s films, and beginning is not quite such a good run of 1980s films. So with Coppola's uh, help, they got it um, finished and distributed, which was to his eternal credit, because it, it's, uh, it's quite... Quite an experience and pretty much unlike anything that had been seen before. So the film has no actors or dialogue and has been described as a visual tone poem or experimental art documentary film. So of course uh, the film has got a surprising long pedigree as in terms of a pure art project. So we have love La Chienne Andalou, uh, the Surrealist in the 1920s, your Mayor de in the 1940s with Meshes of the Afternoon. There's uh, Stan Brackage in the uh, 50s, 60s, 70s. Big shout out to Jax Griffin in Bradford. Uh, Yoko Ono, amongst other people, pop art people, right through. And yeah, the art film, not so much um, uh, really a medium that's perhaps suited to documentary, but this is one of those rare examples where I think you could argue that it is. So a lot of art films are generally dispensed with narrative altogether. And some people would say that Koenig doesn't have a narrative. It does, but it's more subtle, if you're going to use that word, because it's not always a subtle film. But there is a narrative there. And one of the reasons why uh, a lot of film academics, such as myself, uh, use it to teach uh, both editing, cinematography and sound is because of the innovative way that uh, the juxtaposition of images are used to tell the story. So it's, this, it's basically a pretty epic story about um, the natural world and the human world coming together. So by staging striking imagery from both worlds, it does quietly build its message, if I can use the word quietly in a non-aural sense. The ideology of the film is also really interesting. It's quite anti-capitalist and it's very much pro-society, pro-environment. And uh, there's the perhaps the, the, the shot that really stands out for me is the one at the end, which um, is scored again with a very haunting synthesizer uh, repetitive uh, motif by Glass. And it's of uh, a long tracking shot of a piece of burning space rocket as it drops to the ground. And it's it's on there for a couple of minutes, and there's a very much an apocalyptic tone struck. And then it cuts to a chorus singing choir and a scutsy. And Kondoskatsi itself is a Hopi Indian word, and the definitions uh, range from life in chaos, life out of balance, life that calls for another way of living, which I think is um, really appropriate at the moment. Then it's the the very last shot is of rock art on the walls of caves in New Mexico that Reggio and uh, his Hopi Indian uh, consultant David Mononghi um, I think, uh, yeah, found. And it's a profound moment. It's a profoundly elemental film. Uh, they, at its core, it examines what humanity is doing to itself and to the world around it. And Reggio himself expressed it as, it is up to the viewer to take from himself or herself what it is that the film means. He also said that these films have never been about the effects of technology, uh, of industry, on people. It's been that everyone politics, education, film, things of the financial structure, the nation state structure, language, the culture, religion, all of that exists within the host of technology. So it's not the effect of, it's that everything exists within. It's not that we use technology, we live technology. Technology has become ubiquitous as the air we breathe. Now, this was in in the early 80s, and that's a pretty prescient statement to make. Uh, considering that the internet, social media are are rapidly becoming fundamental parts of our lives. And Reggio was commentating and, you know, I'd say very uh, penetrating commentary using this film just as to what effect that technology has on humans and society and the world around us. So the acknowledgements at the end of the film include uh, Jacques Ellul, who, amongst other things, is a Christian anarchist, which is, I'd love to know what the definition of a Christian anarchist is, anybody knows, please write in. Uh, Ivan Illich, a Roman Catholic theologian and social critic, uh, the aforementioned David mononghi a Hopi Indian elder, the Marxist theorist Guy Debord, and uh, Leopold Coeur, who's the writer of Small is Beautiful, and also defines himself as a philosophical anarchist, which again is an interesting uh, phrase. So on a personal level, I came across this film as a Cali youth of 19 on my first a real film course at university which was at De Montfort in Leicester in the UK in the early 90s and I had absolutely no idea what it was I saw it in the program and I didn't know how to pronounce the word and yeah it was like okay we'll go into this and that's probably the best way to go into it with no preconceptions because um, basically it's an example of trusting the lecturer and generally this particular film programmer who was a bit of a legend called Mike O'Shaughnessy. who when mood took him used to come to university in a long purple dress bless his cotton socks um, shout out to Mike if you're listening and yes he programmed a fantastic array of films which most of us hadn't seen before and yeah it was, it was quite an education so yes I have to thank Mike for that for showing me quite a scourty. and simply put it just blew me away um, this is a tremendously powerful film and it's one of the few um, films, or certainly one of the watershed films for me, in that it changed the way that I looked at the world. And that's not really an exaggeration either. When I came out of the cinema about lunchtime uh, on a Monday morning, the world did seem different. There, and that's, that feeling stayed with me for most of the day. I was aware of how small I was and how insignificant I was and how big the world was as well. So yes, it's, it's quite an experience. It's very much an experiential film. So I would urge you to, if you can, see it at the cinema. It really, really, really does deserve to be seen on the big screen. So copyright issues have meant that it was out of print throughout most of the 90s, but do actually only rights to it now and have released it on DVD along with the first of the sequels, which was Power Scatsy. It does look slightly dated, I have to say that, but you know, there's still a real power to it. Um, it was uh, also very much a Marmite film in that um, most people... Either love it or hate it. Um, there's very few people that are unmoved by it, which I think is testament to its power and just to the power of cinema to to move somebody, uh, to move people uh, to uh, whether you love or hate this film. Um, I know of at least one person that had a headache from watching it, and when you do watch it and listen to it, you'll probably see why. So Reggio uh, followed it up with the sequels Paus and Nakwekatsi, but the first film is generally considered to be the strongest. Uh, Ron Frick went on to direct Kronos, in 1985 and Baraka in 1992 that dealt with very similar themes the film's influence uh, overall is subtle and perhaps not so obvious to non-film students but there is a Simpsons episode in 2010 that does parody it in an itchy and scratchy cartoon and as well as the aforementioned uh, Scrubs episode where the evil janitor uh, gives JD played by Zach Braff an evil stare and that's uh, that was overdubbed by uh, the music by Philip Glass it's also uh, in the influence of um, one of the few films that's made me cry at the cinema, which is a, um, a state-of-the-world documentary called Planetary from 2015. And there's definitely a strong influence there. Planetary is more of a talking heads a conventional documentary in that sense, but it does deal with very, very similar themes to Koina But Koina Skatsi got there first in about probably uh, 30 or so years earlier. I really hope you get to uh, manage to get a hold of a copy of it, even if it's on DVD, it's so worth a view, and I'd love to know what your opinions are on it and what other films you'd like to see appear in the Film Emporium. The website is Dr. Kino's Film Emporium, and yes, we very much uh, thank you uh, for your time. So for now, the Film Emporium is closed, but we'll open next week with another incredible piece of cinema that we trust you'll be interested in. Uh, goodbye, and enjoy your films. Take care.